Hey everybody, it's Eric Torenberg, co-founder, partner of Village Global, a network-driven venture firm. And this is Venture Stories, a podcast covering topics relating to tech and business with world-leading experts. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Village Global's Venture Stories. I'm here today joined by two very special guests, Joe Garofalo and Trevor Olshek. Uh, Joe, Trevor, welcome to the podcast. Great to be here. Thanks for having us, Eric. Thanks, Eric. So, uh, Joe, you're co-founder and CEO of Mosaic, uh, which is a portfolio company of, of ours and General Catalyst. And, and Trevor, you're managing director at, at General Catalyst. Um, let's start with introductions. Joe, can you describe uh, to the audience uh, what is Mosaic and how did you come to start it? For sure. So Mosaic is a strategic finance platform, uh, and we're really building the the future of, of tooling for modern day CFOs. And the idea of Mosaic was was really born from uh, our time at Palantir building and leading the finance team. Uh, we saw the company go on this really epic ride of, of hyper growth, expanding from 200 folks to more than 2000 operating not only in the U.S. across 50 states, but uh, in multiple countries. And during that journey, we, we implemented tons and tons of the best of breed cloud-based solutions to help us manage and run the business. And there was no good way to actually keep up with all of those toolings and all of that data that was, was coming from them. Uh, so my two co-founders, Brian and Bij, who I was lucky enough to meet at Palantir, we, we put our heads together and through a lot of long nights, built a, a pretty elegant solution that helped the finance team and the overall company as a whole make sense of, of the data that was uh, being produced across, across the globe uh, and really helped align teams around the, the most important dynamics of the business and helped Palantir grow and plan uh, for all of the, the uh, big rounds of funding uh, they received throughout you know, their 17-year their journey. Awesome. Trevor, can you uh, introduce yourself and, and, and talk about how you came to Discover Mosaic? Well, so I'm a partner with General Catalyst. We, um, we're a global venture capital firm with a history that dates back just over 20 years now and that's focused on investing in teams that want to build lasting companies that have a positive impact. You know, while I'm a little bit different than Joe and then I haven't been a founder, I have been investing for 15 or so years and have been fortunate enough to invest in companies like Zapier and Shopify and PagerDuty and Loom. Contentful, Aura, Fivetran, and of course the team here at Mosaic. Now, with uh, getting to know the Mosaic team, actually my my partner Pranav had worked with the team while at Palantir, and um, Pranav and I had met Joe and his founders two and a half years ago as they were just starting to think about productizing their learnings from running the FPA function at Palantir. You know, as they were going through the ideation stage and starting to build product, we stayed in touch and saw them make remarkable progress on product in a really short time frame. And a big reason for this is that they really had learned, had lived the problem here. Along the way, we had also spent quite a bit of time looking at the emerging landscape of startups that was thinking about the finance function. And we had also seen an important change in the role of the CFO and teams in and around finance. And, and I can talk a little bit about that. You know, this is the, the core thesis as to why we're excited here. Yeah, please, let's uh, let, let's dive into that, uh, uh, unpack that further. Sure. Well, at the highest level, 
the core theme for us here at GC within enterprise is something that we call the stakeholder aligned enterprise. And you know, our observation is that the role, the voice, the power of individual stakeholders within a company is growing. And we're seeing an interconnectedness across the different functions with each function playing a more strategic role than they had historically. So we're seeing this across the people function with talent serving as a competitive advantage in economy that's very much driven by innovation. We're seeing this across product and engineering with the rise of the developer and the need to be agile. We're seeing this across the customer function with customer success and the need for every CEO to point everyone across the company towards the customer. And we're seeing this across the finance function as well. And to support this change, a whole new generation of enterprise software companies will need to exist. Now, while the prior generation products were really about helping a person or a team within their function, this next generation is more about incorporating other functions as contributing and as collaborating users. This is the core value proposition for a product like Mosaic, where not just the finance team, but also HR, sales, and marketing all use Mosaic to understand and interact with one another and have a sense of the totality of the business via its metrics. And just as important to iterate on the whole financial planning process in a way that is very much synchronous, meaning in real time, and very much collaborative, where the experience from a product perspective feels more like Google and Notion than it would Excel or email. And this broad and overarching thesis is the key reason why we got really excited about Mosaic here. Yeah, and Trevor, you, you mentioned some really great points there. Um, you, you mentioned the product organization. You mentioned the HR, the sales function. Finance is, is really that that one team that has the vantage point over all of those, those different departments. And every single thing that those departments do has a financial impact. And finance needs to be that connective tissue that is aligning all those teams around the common goal that will eventually kind of propel the company towards growth um, or not. And if, if CFOs and finance teams only have spreadsheets and, and PDFs and backwards looking toolkits, um, that the same ones they had 15, 20 years ago, it gets really, really difficult to align teams around that common mission. And Trevor, maybe say more about the, the why now behind, behind the thesis or, or maybe how just the broader space has, has evolved over time in terms of how you've, have you looked at it as a, as an investor? Well, no, historically, software products for the finance function have been really glorified databases. And, and actually, broadly across enterprise software, that's been how software has been built and delivered. Meaning, anybody who's used Salesforce, really, it's a tool that you use to enter information and do queries of information. It is fundamentally not something that's synchronous, and it's not something that's collaborative. And... Um, Joe described uh, this new world where all of the stakeholders across a company provide input into, let's say, the financial planning process, and all of the stakeholders have ultimate visibility into the fundamental metrics of the business. 
And you can only do that if you have a product that's built uh, to incorporate um, a variety of people across teams, whether it's sales or whether it's marketing or whether it's support or, or whether it's HR. And, you know, we've all felt that experience of, of using Google Docs and Google Sheets where you get a little bit of that magical experience of being able to collaborate. And that's a key part of the value proposition for something like a mosaic. For sure. And I, I would love to add a bit of the, the why now um, based on, on my perspective, which is the the ERP has, has kind of been unbundled over the last, uh, call it three to five years with the rise of these best in breed cloud-based tools. Um, more and more of, of the data that you need to run the business exists in, in siloed tool sets that, that don't speak to one another. So more and more, the role of the CFO actually looks like a uh, a skill set in computer science or data engineering to kind of string these uh, different tools together to make sense of what's actually happening across the company. So um, the rise of, of all this cloud software, the unbundling of the ERP has made the job of the CFO much more difficult than it has been in the past. And CFOs by nature don't have this technical skill set. Sure, sure, their skill set is technical in the application of GAP, um, and, and building complex you know, models and funnels, uh, but it's not technical in, in building data pipes and uh, writing SQL or Python to join different data sets that need to speak to one another. Um, so in terms of timing, uh, we, we kind of struck while we, we saw this problem emerging and we needed to build something that was easy for CFOs to connect and set up and gives them this technical skill set they otherwise wouldn't have. And I, I, I want to get to sort of transition to one of the main points we want to talk about today is, you know, how do investors and founders have, have great relationships uh, and what, what does a great partnership look like? But just to close this loop, we talked about the the why now. We talked a little bit about the history. Let's talk about a little bit about the the future. If we're having this conversation in 2026, you know, five years from now, how, how is that conversation different in terms of the how, how the landscape that we're talking about uh, might evolve in the future? Fast forward five years, I, I, I see kind of, this, I call it a constellation of, of tools. Um, there's there's lots of tools in that ecosystem. There's uh, there's Salesforce on the CRM side. There's there's Gong. There's Lever for recruiting and Greenhouse for the applicant tracking systems. There's the, the ERP system that is like you know your your accounting books and records. There's your your HRIS systems like Gusto and Rippling and and JustWorks. Um, but at the core of, of that constellation of tools should be a strategic finance platform that connects and, and helps you understand all of the financial corners of your business. And, and within that strategic finance platform, you have your different teams operating and understanding and consuming, consuming and collaborating the numbers in a way that is, is easy to understand. I think when, when people think about finance and they think about financial modeling and, and spreadsheets, uh, it's scary to a lot of folks that don't have a background like myself or, or like Trevor. Um, we want to make that easy and understandable. We should be able to demystify um, and make these difficult financial concepts actually easy to understand and consume and educate and arm the business so that finances used as, as kind of this offensive tool that uh, it hasn't gotten enough attention for us in the past. That, that makes a lot of sense, Joe. Let's uh, switch gears here, here a little bit and um, talk about the the you know how how investors and founders can have great relationships, uh, great partnership together. W maybe let's start with what are some of the some of the things to avoid or, or some some mistakes that that uh, that we've seen that we've seen happen. 
Sure. So uh, I can kick us off here. I think one of the, the things that we see uh, across our customer base, and we have more than 100 customers today, is um, measuring the wrong things or, or calculating things that should be straightforward um, inaccurately. So standard definitions, um, investors kind of expecting one thing and, and getting uh, another from their portfolio companies is an easy area to, to potentially fix uh, something as simple as you know annual recurring revenue. It, it shouldn't have you know, 20, 30 different definitions across your portfolio companies. You should be able to standardize and make that consistent. Yeah, Joe, you, you make a good point. So measuring the, the wrong things is really about a um, what I would call a mismatch of expectations. And um, you know, ultimately, the best relationships between a founder and the investors when you have really good alignment here. So much of the time that Joe and I had spent together when we were getting to know each other ahead of the fundraise was about aligning around what you wanted to build, what's the culture here that you ultimately want to foster, and and getting a, a true sense for what the journey that we might undertake here over the course of what will likely be a decade here and you know invariably alignment can shift uh, just you know, it's not uh, it's not impossible but so much of the time that you spend early on creates a foundation for weathering through it and mismatching expectations is is one example of that where you're thinking about the goalposts for the business in a way that might be a little bit different in my case it might be a little bit different from a founder and you're starting to think about metrics that are just not yet relevant to the business. So, you know, as an example, you know, very early on, it, it, it actually has nothing to do with the metrics here. It, it's about team. It's about market potential. It's about um, the ability to recruit great people to come on board with this vision. It's about the pace of product innovation which is one of the things for me that really jumped off the page with Joe and his fellow founders here. And you know, these things in the early days you really can't quantify. But as the as the company starts to go from call it an idea to a project to uh, a business, it starts to see early signs of product market fit. And so you start to pick up on signals and you start to look for similar use cases. You start to look for actual deployments and product usage. And that's when you start to think about what are the right metrics to measure. But if you're pushing for uh, the wrong mes- metrics, let's say early on, you start to see a mismatch of expectations. You know, ultimately, as as you start to s- scale even more, you start to see some level of repeatability, particularly around the go-to-market motion. And that's when you start to think about, you know, call it the the more classic metrics. But if you're pushing that early on, that's where you start to see a little bit of a mismatch here. I, I absolutely agree there, Trevor. And I, I think it's important too to, to be honest with your board and with your investors on your plans for things like going to market uh, and, and whether or not it's a repeatable process just yet. Um, and, and like you said, it's if it's a decade-long journey, in year one and year two, you're measuring totally different things than uh, what you'd be measuring in years four or five. Uh, years four and five, maybe you're starting to think through the unit economics and um, becoming you know, a profitable company. Whereas in year one, year two, you're, you're just trying to get market share. You're just trying to get some good logos. Um, and that's actually what matters more so than um, things like 
uh, ARR growth or, or customer acquisition cost. Maybe the flip side of this question, what's really important for, for companies to do to be able to develop strong trust with, with, with their investors in terms of things to be transparent about and, uh, and things that we, we do want our founders to do? Yeah, I think the first step is, is really choosing the right partner. You can think of the, the investor and the board relationship with founders as, as a marriage. You need to, to be upfront and honest with what you can accomplish, when you can accomplish it, and really having that foundation for trust early on um, so that you, you are on the same page with, hey, this is a decade-long journey versus, hey, this might be you know a, a quick double, which some investors I know are after versus um, more of the, the folks with a long-term horizon. You mentioned long-term horizon, and, and that that is really critical here. And for a great relationship, everyone needs to have the right orientation towards that. The good partners invariably will push founders when things are going well, and when they're not, will try to be supportive. And you know, actually, it's, it's funny because it is the the exact opposite of human nature. And it's something I've learned in, in raising my daughter is that when things are going well, that's when you want to push and encourage. And when things aren't going so well, you, you actually want to do the opposite. And um, you can only do that if you have a shared orientation towards the long term here. And this all comes back to the concept of, of alignment and um, setting yourself up for success early on by spending quite a bit of time talking through what are your goals, what do you want to build, and what's the journey going to be like here. Um, Joe, you talked a little bit about trust, and um, uh, trust is is um, is really hard to, um, to foster and maintain over years. And, um, you know, the Toby Luca from Shopify, he, he has an amazing concept that he calls the trust battery, which is really a way to describe the relationship between people. And um, you know, when you start off with someone, you start with your battery being half full. And as you interact with someone over time, your the trust battery goes up or goes down. And when it goes down, you need to rebuild that. And um, you know, as I think about relationships with the founders who I work with, um, absolutely right, Joe, transparency is really, really important here. And where, whenever there is some kind of drift in alignment, you want to communicate it. Uh, from the investor's perspective, and one of the things I've, I've learned over the years is that if ideally, you're going to want to try to advise and help where you have the right experience. And if you don't, look for others who can help you. And that's part of what venture investors do by the nature of our network. And that level of credibility of really advising when you have the right experience really matters when it comes to trust. Consistency is super important for obvious reasons here as well. And um, you know, when it comes to the relationship between a investor and who typically would be sitting on the board of a founder's company and the founder, um, it's, it's also really important to be thinking about the interpersonal dynamic more as a peer than as a reporting structure, thinking about the relationship in terms of our partnership, in terms of collaboration with actually Mosaic is a great example. So, you know, Joe and I, we have check-ins every couple of weeks. They tend to be um, a little bit uh, more formal, but 
we talk about issues that um, Joe's thinking about here. And these issues may be issues that are things that he's noodling. They may be uh, about a new product area to go into. They may be issues that are really thorny situations. And we do this every couple of weeks or so, but the best levels of engagement tend to happen when we're doing things over text and it's a quick phone call. And, you know, my favorite part of the relationship with the founder is the moment where you get that Saturday phone call and, um, and a founder just wants to talk through something that's really important to them. You may not even have a solution, but you've built that level of trust where they would look to you to make that first call. That's so important. Um, and I appreciate you guys always being there. I think one more thing to add is, is just understanding the strengths of the investors that are in your network and that are on your board. Um, I think when we were getting started in the very early days, it was, it was just Beej and I. Uh, and Village Global, knowing that we were two you know, non-technical co-founders, matched us up with an incredible technical advisor in, in, in Luke Browd. And without understanding that Village was really strong in connecting networks and, and matching people that they think would be great fits, we, we wouldn't have, have our head of technology. So really just understanding the strengths of, of the people around you and, and leveraging uh, their networks and their ability to pattern match and talk through hard problems and and learn and, and grow from those experiences. That's awesome. And shout, shout out Ross Fabini for leading it on the, on the, on the village perspective. Joe, what, what should companies expect or ask from their venture firms? Like what advice do we have in terms of how to, uh, how, how to get the most, uh, most bang for the buck, so to speak? Yeah, I think um, going back to like the, the, the decade long company journey, uh, you ask for different things at, at different times. So um, it, it might be, getting connected to a really strong group of, of public company CFOs who can help you uh, talk about some of the problems and some of the, the product roadmap that they would want to see before you're out in the market. Um, it could be uh, it could be finding really good sales hires to, to lead you to that that next chapter from you know zero to five million five to, to 20. Um, understanding those profiles, um, using networks, Investors know a lot of great people. Boards know a lot of great people, and um, can can be that that connector uh, that founders need to just unlock doorways. And I think more than anything, uh, you guys have provided a ton of leverage for founders to to do things at a speed which would otherwise you know slow us down uh, when it comes to uh, tapping networks or or doing things these are our, ourselves. Trevor. How does the VC founder relationship evolve as a as a startup matures, and how should investors and founders uh, you know, which which they know about what to expect in that evolution? Well, one of the unique aspects of investing in a startup is that you're you're actually not investing in who the founder is today, but rather you're investing in who the person is going to become. And so, if you if you look at a founder when they're just getting their business off the ground. Ultimately, as they scale and start to build a team and build a, a big and important company, they're going to grow and mature and learn. And there's just so much that happens along the way. And you know, as a founder goes through this journey, I've seen that the relationship and, and how we engage with one another actually does evolve. And uh, it ultimately takes on what I would call a higher order, meaning the conversations will shift from being quite tactical to being much more strategic. The um, 
the networks that we're looked upon to tap into and the introductions that we make and the relationships that we try to help foster become much more senior. We start to think about what might be the second and third act and help to think through what's the right sequencing for for the company. And so the, the, the level of engagement and the types of conversations are just very different than when you're thinking about it in the most early days where it's about building that shared alignment, dreaming of what the world can become one day and thinking about what are the specific tactical problems that you need to solve today to start to move the business forward. And when you start to go on the path of being uh, near and as a public company, just the type of engagement starts to move up a level and it becomes much more strategic. I have a follow-up question for you on that, on that same note. So Trevor, as the relationship goes from you know, tactical in the early days to more strategic with the founders in, in the later stage. Um, what are some of the other relationships outside of, of the founder uh, that you end up developing as an investor and specifically like towards the finance function? Well, across more broadly, you start to get to know the entire executive team. And you know, over the, you know, the, the best relationships with a founder and a company tend to last over a decade as you go through the journey to being ultimately a public company. So you get to know a lot of people within the company. And um, you know, across the finance function, you know, the typical relationship that we would build over time, you just think about everything from um, the head of accounting, you start to think about who's running treasury, you have those types of um, relationships that you build. Um, FP&A, as that team starts to grow, you start to get to know those folks. And you know, ultimately, if you get closer to being a public company, you start to, you know, there's an audit committee that's formed, there is an audit chair, and you start to get into a level of engagement with um, with these with this committee and and with the audit partners. And so, the purview of who you interact with actually broadens, at least from within the finance function. Absolutely. Is there a specific like series stage or, or revenue size that you see uh, your investments typically higher? Uh, that that internal finance function to help with some of the reporting and the transparency and um, I call them earnings calls. Once you start to see inklings of a repeatable go-to-market motion, where you start to think about things like top of funnel, where you start to think about some level of clarity around sales cycle and the time and effort to get a customer up and running, when you start to have some level of revenue to the business and you don't have you have several handfuls of customers. That's about the right stage to start to think about your first finance hire. I, I would totally agree. Um, as soon as there starts to be some meaningful level of transaction, some customer scale, and more importantly, like when when more teams are are forming. And the way I think about Mosaic is like we have all these great different departments, and all of these different departments are operating like their own startups with their own set of problems. Um, that's when finance can really be that that glue that's uniting teams around some of the numbers and and the outputs and, and throughputs that the company is actually capable of. So we've been talking a lot about how to improve the relationship between a founder and their investors. And we've talked a little bit about the first finance hire here. Um, Joe, I have a question for you, which is based on your experience going through the journey of Palantir and then what you've seen with with our customers here with Mosaic, what are some of the things that you think uh, are important to put in place uh, from 
a tooling perspective to help provide a level of transparency and help the level of communication between the company and their investors? Yeah, that's that's a great question, uh, Trevor. I think one of the things to talk about here is is around speed. Um, it's important for companies, and it was really important for for Palantir to to continue to be agile to understand what was happening in all of these different countries that we were going in to operate. And if if the finance team wasn't able to close the books uh, in a reasonable amount of time, we were never going to get the data that we needed to to arm our operators on the ground with to make the next decision. So. I think the ways that you can improve kind of these relationship with your investors, with your board, is to have really you know tight and buttoned up processes, um, and and get out numbers and insights that you can you can actually trust within a reasonable amount of time. Uh, I don't think you, Trevor, or you, Eric, want to read kind of a newspaper that's you know already 45, 90 days old. You guys want to know about the next thing, what the company is doing with the insights. Um, that they're getting directly from the customer, directly from the new teams that are forming in new places. Um, so how can you get that that those insights quickly? I think there's a lot of great software solutions out there that that CFOs and finance teams should start to take advantage of um, to to be able to react and and act quicker based on the data and the insights that they're getting from those ground truths. You know, one of the things I love to see. Um, especially as you start to get into some level of scale is a, uh, a quarterly flash that uh, gets shared um, not just with investors, but across the team, which uh, talks about how the quarter go, some quantitative figures like the metrics and what might be the ACV bookings, the new and the expansion, the ARR, a couple of examples of some really on customers that have been signed on and then a little bit of qualitative, like how's things going. And it doesn't, Joe, to your point, it doesn't need to be a, um, a novel. It's uh, hence the word flash. It's something um, really that's snackable that gives people a sense for how things are going and, and um, is communicated more broadly across the organization. Absolutely. And, and when you're able to get that flash report and you're able to not only produce it quickly, but digest it quickly, that's when you can, you can push harder on the gas in the places that are, that are going really well um, and continue to make more investment in things like sales and marketing and hire uh, more of the right types of people. But if it, if it takes you 45 days, 90 days to come to that realization, you're, you're already going to be behind the eight ball. So um, tons of new software like Mosaic that's, that's out there making this much easier for companies to, to understand. Uh, well, well, Trevor, Joe, this has been a this has been a lovely conversation. Joe, for people who want to learn more about uh, Mosaic, uh, w- where can you point them? And any plugs? Yeah. Uh, so our our website is uh, mosaic.tech, and feel free to shoot us an email at info at mosaic.tech. Appreciate you having us on here, Eric. Uh, really enjoyed the conversation. Uh, tons of great insight from you and from Trevor. Awesome. Thanks, Trevor. Thanks, thanks, Joe. Thanks very much. If you're an early stage entrepreneur, we'd love to hear from you. Check us out at villageglobal.vc.